Welcome to A Short History of Symmetry, a series of podcasts from the University of Warwick. In this episode, Professor Ian Stewart talks about the life of Évariste Galois, the failed revolutionary who developed group theory and changed the way we think about mathematics, physics and the world around us. There's one key historical figure, Évariste Galois, who transforms the whole story from solving equations and relatively straightforward algebraic questions of that kind into what we now recognise as the mathematics of symmetry. So Gawa is the key figure in the whole thing. He was born in France in 1810, in a little village outside Paris. His father was the village mayor, so he was in a fairly well-to-do family, clearly a bright kid, um, did well at school, but he loved maths and he wasn't terribly interested in most other things. He was just really, really good at mathematics. And his whole career is rather tragic in all sorts of ways. Because he's only interested in maths, he doesn't do fantastically well either at school or in terms of university entrance. He can't get into the really good university. He has to go to the the sort of second-rate one. He's more interested in developing his own mathematical research than he is in studying for his courses. So he gets into trouble. And he gets involved in revolutionary politics. And at the same time as all that, he is competing for major mathematical prizes and he's trying to submit his research to the big journals of the time, working through the French Academy of Science, which had some of the leading mathematicians of the period. Galois, rather early on, got interested in the quintic equation. He didn't know about Arbel's work, as far as I can tell. He pretty much invented things for himself. He may have picked up a little bit of understanding that uh, this Norwegian has proved these things can't be done. But Galois sets himself a much broader problem, which is basically which equations can be solved, which equations can't be solved, what's the difference between them, and how does it really work? And he realised that what really matters here is what we would now call permutations. An equation of the fifth degree, a quintic equation, has five different solutions typically. And people knew this. The problem was, is there a formula for the solutions? But we know there are solutions. There are numbers that will solve the equation. There are five of them. And Galois started thinking about what happens when you write those numbers, five numbers, in different orders. You know, you you might write them A, B, C, D, E. You might write them A, B, C, E, D. Um, You can shuffle them. You can think of writing the five roots, the five solutions on five cards and shuffling those cards into different orders. There are 120 different ways to shuffle them. Galois realised the important thing was that if you shuffle the cards and shuffle them again, it's the same as shuffling them by some method once. This is the group property of these permutations. The different ways to permute, reorder, shuffle the five roots fit together into an algebraic structure. Uh, If you have some rule for shuffling the cards, which says maybe uh, put them in reverse order, and you have a second rule which says take one card off the top, put it on the bottom, whatever. Uh, If you perform both of those in turn, it's some other method for shuffling them. And Galois realised that the structure of this group of shuffles is the key to understanding how you solve quintic equations or can't solve quintic equations. 
And roughly speaking, what he proved was if there is a formula for solving a particular quintic equation algebraically, which involves a fifth root, then at the stage where you take the fifth root, this tells you mathematically how to take your 120 shuffles and break them up into five sets of 24 with a very, very special, beautiful mathematical property. And the property is basically that if you take a shuffle from one set and then perform a shuffle from a second set, this must be a shuffle from a third set. But which set you get does not depend upon which ones you chose from the first set or the second set. 24 possibilities for the first shuffle, 24 possibilities for the second shuffle, huge number of possibilities when you perform them both, but they always end up in the same set. And then he said, that's so pretty that actually that's impossible. <laughs> And he showed there is no way to break up the 120 permutations into five sets of 24 that have that property. Therefore, you can't solve quintic equations in general. Why doesn't it work? Because the group of transformations that preserves the algebraic structure, we would now say the symmetry group of the equation, has the wrong form. It's just not the kind of group that can appear if you use fifth roots, fourth roots, cube roots, and things like that. And he actually came up with a mathematical criterion for distinguishing those equations that you can solve and those that you can't. You take the group of the equation, some collection of ways of shuffling the roots. If you can break it up into blocks in a nice way, then you can solve the equation. And if you can't break it up to blocks in a nice way, then you can't solve the equation. And so the whole business of solving the equation turns into a purely combinatorial problem. Um, in other words, it's, it's just to do with the structure of these shuffles. It's got nothing to do with equations at all anymore. It's purely to do with groups. And so Galois puts his finger on the crux of the whole thing and says, it's not the equation that matters, it's its group. If you know enough about the group, you can just work out how to solve the equation. You can look at the methods the Babylonians used or the Renaissance mathematicians used and you can actually see the group theory happening in the algebra if you look at it the right way. You can look at Arbel's proof you can't solve the quintic and you can see it's really about the group. It all depends on the group. The difference in Galois' viewpoint is really very strong because he's thinking in the abstract about He's not looking at a particular equation and, and doing formulas. He's saying, suppose I had a formula, suppose I did certain things to that formula, what kind of structure would work? What kind of structure would not work? How, you know, mathematicians weren't used to playing around with permutations. They were used to doing calculations, doing sums. And this was kind of alien stuff. And so when he submitted this research to the French Academy, they didn't completely understand it. To give them credit, I think they understood it better than you might have expected. They really made an effort. But um, at one stage, you get the feeling that they're beginning to see what he's on about, and they've decided it's so important that he'd better write it up much more clearly. So they send it back to him. Well, they, 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 they send him a message. They've lost his manuscript. But they send back a message saying, can you do it again, please, but do it more clearly? He interprets this as a kind of brush-off I think it was genuine. I think they were beginning to think, you know, this Galois chap's onto something, but I can't 
you know, unless he can write it down in a decent fashion, no one's ever going to understand it. So let's give him some encouragement, but let's try and get him to write it down properly. And he misinterprets this. So he gets more and more upset. He gets totally fed up. He doesn't abandon his mathematics, but he stops trying to interest the professionals in his mathematics. And he gets very deeply embroiled in revolutionary politics. He joins a thing called the Republican Guard, which is a sort of paramilitary outfit which mostly parades around Paris with, with muskets and guns and, um, and knives and swords and so forth, and generally makes a nuisance of itself. And there's a big banquet in Paris to celebrate the release of some of these people after they were tried for treason but um, found not guilty. And to celebrate this, there's this banquet, and a very drunken Galois raises his knife and toasts the king, which is interpreted as a threat to the king's life. He's arrested, thrown in jail, then he's released again, and he goes on like this. He ends up in jail again. Then he's let out because there's a cholera epidemic. And at that point, he gets involved in with a young lady who for many years was mysterious. Nobody knew who she was because... Uh, basically, the, the, in Galois' manuscripts is a name which has been very heavily scrawled out and all that's left is the initial of the surname, which is a D. Who was this woman? But by looking very closely, uh, a mathematical historian managed to decipher the name and it turns out to be Stephanie Dumotel, who is the daughter of a doctor who lived next door to Galois. So it's the girl next door. It's clearly not a very happy relationship She's broken it off. It's not clear what she broke off. It's not clear whether the whole thing was in Galois' mind and she was never really interested. But there seem to be some letters which suggest that she at least gave him a little bit of encouragement but has now changed her mind, probably because her father, the doctor, does not want his daughter involved with this strange, obsessive, politically incorrect young man. Uh, but all we have is a few copied extracts from letters that Galois has written down very possibly from memory. It looks like he destroyed the letters and then sort of reconstructed them. Uh, it's, it's all very, very sad. Um, and there's a duel. He is challenged to a duel. Nobody knows exactly who it was, but it is clearly one of his revolutionary comrades. There were all sorts of wild theories. This was a political setup and so forth. But it, it's, it seems it's probably genuine. It's probably a close friend of his. They both fell for the same girl and decided to fight it out. The newspaper at the time reports this duel as pistols at 50 paces. But there are reasons to believe it was actually rather nastier than that. It was a sort of Russian roulette. That Galois and his rival took two pistols, put shot in one, not the other. So one was loaded, one was not. And then they randomly chose pistols, stood right next to each other, stuck the pistols in each other's stomachs and fired. And Galois got the wrong pistol. About two days later, he dies of peritonitis. Quite a plausible theory is that it was a very close friend of his. In fact, it was one of his comrades with whom he was imprisoned. He was in the same prison cell with Ernest du Chatelet, who may well have been the other person in the duel. So Galois dies, he's left manuscripts, he's left a long essay he wrote the night before the duel. He's trying to write his stuff because he has another friend who, who has an encyclopaedia 
and Galois wants his work to go into this encyclopedia. And then the whole story sort of just grinds to a halt. Galois is dead. None of his work on group theory has been published. It exists in manuscript form, and it's rescued by a professional mathematician, Liouville, about 30 years later, who takes the trouble to read Galois' manuscripts really carefully, think about what's going on, and gives a lecture to the French Academy saying, I'd like to draw your attention to some remarkable findings in the work of Monsieur Galois. And at that point, the mathematical world wakes up to what Galois has done. He's invented group theory. He's not only solved the problem of the quintic equation, he's invented a new kind of mathematics. And over a fairly short period, maybe another 40 or 50 years, group theory explodes. And the mathematicians start to realise what it's really about is symmetry. There's a massive tome on group theory written by Camille Jordan. And Jordan actually talks about the symmetries of the Greek regular solids, the cube, the tetrahedron, the octahedron, the dodecahedron, the icosahedron. He explains that um, what distinguishes these is their symmetries, how the symmetries are related. He talks about symmetries of rigid bodies moving in space, so he's thinking about mechanics. He talks about algebraic symmetries of things we would now recognise as matrices, um, linear algebra, finite fields. Jordan really puts the whole of the algebra of the time and some of the geometry and some of the mechanics together and says, it's all group theory, really. So at this point, mathematicians have, have consciously realised what it is they've got, that it's all about symmetry and that you can apply these ideas across the whole of the field of mathematics. If you would like to find out more about the history of symmetry, Professor Stewart's book, Beauty is Truth, is now available. In our next episode, we see how the concepts of symmetry influenced physics and how Einstein changed our views of the symmetries of the physical world.